With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Danielle Leal. Hey everyone, Danielle Leal here, and thanks for getting your agriculture news with me today. Farmers in the San Joaquin Valley rush to recharge groundwater after storms. Taking advantage of January storms and recent cheap seasonal water rates, Growers in the San Joaquin Valley are racing to build temporary basins for sinking water into aquifers to boost groundwater to carry them through drier years ahead. Zach Stoller, whose farm management firm has built 20 temporary basins in the past month, says, quote, we weren't prepared for this much water and we can't build them up fast enough. Some growers are removing trees to build permanent structures to store more water underground. That was today's California Farm Bureau Food and Farm News Report, and now let's get into our show headlines. What's new in pesticide reporting? Environmental liaison with the Department of Pesticide Regulation, Martha Sanchez, says the DPR had to get creative when it came to reporting pesticide incidents. And one way to do so discreetly is with Casper. Yes, um, you know, we are getting more creative. So um, definitely the Casper mobile app is the latest technology that can be used by anyone. Uh, it's in Spanish as well, uh, and it's easy to use. It only asks a few questions. Uh, the person can be, can be anonymous when submitting the, the report. But pesticide reporting is very important because we want to make sure that um, everybody has a, a say on, and, you know, and we want to capture that as DPR to make sure, you know, where, where are the offenders um, are breaking the laws and regulations. So we want to make sure that... Um, this does not happen. And that's why the Casper mobile app has the features of having a GPS, video, and photos. People can submit that as well. It goes straight to the Act Commissioners, and the Act Commissioner staff can grab, grab the report, the information, and, and, and go to wherever this is happening. To learn more information on the mobile app, visit www.cdpr.ca.gov. And now here's Brian German with more agriculture news. The more vigorous grape root stocks can be more resilient in conditions that don't allow for a lot of irrigation. At the recent On the Road event in Tulare last week, assistant professor in the Department of Viticulture and Enology at UC Davis, Megan Bartlett explained how vigorous rootstocks have gained a reputation for appearing drought tolerant. And so the the characteristics that make a rootstock vigorous um, tend to be related to its ability to access soil water. Um, So the vigorous rootstocks are the ones that are able to really explore a large soil profile and access water from throughout that soil, Um, especially uh, the the kind of wetter soil that's in in deeper layers of the soil. And so that um, ability, that that connection between vigor and accessing um, extensive soil water is also what creates this connection between vigor and drought tolerance. UC Riverside and the Southern California chapter of the California Association of Pest Control Advisors will be hosting a citrus field day for growers and industry members next week. The field day will take place at the UC Riverside's Department of Agricultural Operations on Thursday, March 2nd. The first presentation of the day will be an update on ACP and HLB regulations from Riverside County Ag Commissioner Ruben Arroyo. UC Extension Specialist in UCR's Microbiology and Plant Pathology Department, Georgios Vitalakis will also be talking about graft-transmissible and vectored citrus diseases. 
Following the morning break, other topics of discussion will include rootstock and scion research for lemons, the use of biodegradable hydrogel to deliver boric acid baits, and finding solutions for HLB management and long-term cultivation. More information on the field day is available on the upcoming events page at agnetwest.com. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. Thanks, Brian, and stay tuned as we'll have more of the day's agriculture news and farm features here on the Agnet News Hour. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and at statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search our name of Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet West. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal, tossing it right on over to Sabrina Halverson with today's National Spotlight. In today's National Spotlight, the Senate Agriculture Committee continues its work on preparing for the 2023 Farm Bill. Committee Chair Senator Debbie Stabenow of Michigan led the hearing on nutrition programs. These critical programs help people afford their groceries, make healthier choices, find work, benefit farmers, and our entire food economy and they lift millions of Americans out of poverty. The Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, helps more than 40 million children, seniors, working adults, veterans, people with disabilities, to buy food to feed their families. These are our friends, our neighbors, and relatives who deserve to be able to put food on the table even when they're going through a hard time. Like the single mom of two in Macomb County who just lost her job and doesn't know how she's going to pay for rent and feed her kids. Or the retired couple in Gladwin, Michigan, who lives on a fixed income and worries about covering the cost of their medication and the healthy diet that they need to manage their diabetes. SNAP reduces food insecurity by 30%. And it provides needed benefits to more than one million of our nation's veterans. Studies show that families who participate in SNAP are healthier than eligible people who do not, reducing health care costs by as much as $5,000 per person per year. Every parent will tell you that a hungry child cannot learn. And we know that eligible children who participate in SNAP have better educational outcomes, and future participation in the workforce. Committee ranking member Senator John Bozeman talked about the financial end of nutrition programs in the Farm Bill. Many do not realize, but the nutrition title is by far the costliest title in the bill. Yesterday's CBO baseline projection shows that the Farm Bill nutrition programs, not the entire Farm Bill, but the Farm Bill nutrition programs, will cost more than $1.2 trillion over 10 years, which is greater than 80% of the total cost of the bill. In fact, according to CBO, we will spend more on SNAP from 2022, I'm sorry, 2023 
to 2033 than we have in the previous two decades combined. Since the last Farm Bill, the cost of the largest of these programs, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, has grown by more than 94%, from $65 billion annually in 2018 to an expected $127 billion in 2023. The pandemic and inflation drove some of these cost increases, but let there be no doubt that the largest driver was a decision by the leadership of the Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services mission area to abandon 40 years of precedent and increase SNAP benefits by 21% to record high levels, levels that are unsustainable. Some will cynically point to the provisions to update the Thrifty Food Plan in the 2018 Farm Bill as the basis for USDA's action but Congress never agreed to permit a quarter of a trillion dollars, a quarter of a trillion dollar spending increase. As GIO recently documented, FNCS used a sloppy process with an accelerated schedule. USDA knew the outcome it wanted and then backed into it. Because of these actions, FNCS's political appointees have made passage of the 2023 Farm Bill much more difficult because they showed a lack of good judgment and a gross abuse of discretion. That's today's National Spotlight. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. Thanks, Sabrina. And now for today's Livestock Report, here's Randall Wiseman. Well, in today's Livestock News, one year after Russia's invasion of Ukraine, dairy cows are critical to keeping a Ukraine farmer's crop and livestock operation running as the war continues. National Milk Producers Federation's Alan Birga talked to him in this week's Dairy Defined podcast. This week marks the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a war that's costing hundreds of thousands of lives and unfathomable damage to one of the world's leading agricultural producers. Kay's Housinga has seen it firsthand. With more than 2,000 cows on a modern dairy near Cherkase, Ukraine, about 120 miles south of the capital city of Kiev, Housinga has continued farming in wartime, facing challenges few of us have had to think about and none of us would want to. In part because of his efforts to help fellow farmers in conflict, last year he received the Global Farmer Network's Kleckner Award for his contributions, and along with his experiences in Ukraine, Hausinka, who is originally from the Netherlands, is also a leader in agricultural innovation in Europe. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This has been a year that no Ukrainian farmer asked for. Take us back to one year ago. What was your experience as the invasion began, and how, as a farmer, did you respond? The, the first reaction was panic, of course, you know, what's going to happen, how fast are they going to go, what are they going to shoot? You're thinking that the rockets might drop everywhere. Um, yeah, so panic was uh, an anxiety, you know, uh, that were the first reactions. How have you adjusted as a farmer? Uh, yeah, mainly the crop, um, the, the the crop, the arable farming. We adjusted. We we grew less corn for for uh, for grain, because it's such a bulky crop to export, um, and we planted more spring uh, spring wheat, uh, spring barley, because it's less volume, easier to export, and it spreads the workload a bit more. We planted some additional soybeans. Uh, because they're more expensive and so th- therefore easier to export by truck and by uh, by railroad because uh, from the first day on the ports through the Black Sea were closed so uh, you know we couldn't export 
like 80% of what Ukraine produces is being exported through the Black Sea. And uh, of uh, is being exported, and 90% of this goes through the Black Sea. So the railroad and truck routes, you can't replace that export with it. So uh, that's why uh, we went to crops which are a little bit more expensive and lower in volume. But the dairy, we didn't do a lot of changes. We we bought a lot of uh, of, of of protein up front. You know, we might we feel the shortage. Some medicines we bought up front and some other uh, inputs, which we feel the shortage of. We've been speaking with Case Hausiga, a dairy farmer in Ukraine and a supporter of its development. Thanks, Alan. More of this podcast can be found on the National Milk Producers Federation's website, nmpf.org. I'm Randall Wiseman for Agnet West. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. What GMO crops are grown and sold in the U.S.? Well, there's corn, like me, soybeans, canola, sugar beets, and cotton. Typically, we're ingredients in certain foods. GMO alfalfa, corn, soybeans, canola, and cotton are used as animal food. And while you won't find many GMOs in the produce section, there are versions of GMO apple, summer squash, potato, and papaya in a few markets. Feed your mind with more GMO knowledge on FDA's website. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. A restaurant chain is honoring the FFA. That's coming up on This Land of Ours. This is National FFA Week, and advocating for the importance of agriculture and agriculture education has long been a commitment for Culver's, especially during National FFA Week. This year, in its ninth annual FFA essay contest, the national restaurant chain is partnering with U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action and the Decade of Ag Movement for the first time to energize students around the creation of a sustainable and resilient agricultural future. Culver's longstanding relationship with FFA is part of its Thank You Farmers Project, an initiative that aims to advocate for the positive impact of agriculture while investing in agricultural education in order to create a more resilient and sustainable world. Three FFA members will be selected as winners, earning prizes of $7,500, $5,000, and $2,500 for their FFA chapters to pursue additional educational projects and learning initiatives. I'm Sabrina Halverson for Agnet West. This is the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McCohen. Most ag operations are dependent on borrowed money for continuing in business. Usually, the lender requires the farmer to sign a written agreement giving the lender legal rights to collateral such as crops, livestock, or equipment if the farmer fails to repay the loan. If a default occurs and there are multiple lenders, who gets paid first? I'll be back in a moment to discuss. Kansas State University consistently ranks in the top 10 of all ag schools. 97% of K-State ag graduates are employed or furthering their education. Learn more at ag.ksu.edu. 
I'll get back to the report in a moment, but I want you to know that Schrader Real Estate and Auction Company has sold farm to ranch land and farm equipment in 40 states. Learn how the Schrader family can help your family. Visit SchraderAuction.com. That's S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R Auction.com. When a farmer defaults on a loan, priority in the farmer's collateral among lenders is normally by time of filing. But if a lender loans money to allow the farmer to buy the lender's own goods, a purchase money security interest, or PMSI, is created, and this lender gets priority over a prior perfected security interest of another lender. In a recent Texas case, a farmer borrowed money from a lender that took a security interest in the farmer's crops. The farmer defaulted but then borrowed money from a bank and used the funds to buy cottonseed and chemicals to plant a cotton crop. The bank also took a security interest in the cotton crop. The farmer sold the crop and both lenders wanted paid. The bank claimed it had priority because it had a PMSI in the crop. But a PMSI is limited to situations where the lender is financing the goods that are purchased. The court noted that the bank's loan did not enable the farmer to buy a crop. It enabled him to produce one. And the bank wasn't a seller of crops, seed, or fertilizer. Nor was the seed the same thing as a crop to be grown. This has been the Agricultural Law and Tax Report. I'm Roger McOwen. A new farm bill. Will it be approved by Congress and signed into law by the president this year? That is the hope of many in the ag sector. Yet as longtime ag advisor and advocate Mary Kay Thatcher acknowledges, This is my ninth farm bill and everyone gets harder than the one before. She notes challenges that appear within the development of every farm bill. For the most part, farm bills aren't partisan. They're bipartisan. The hassles usually come in regionally. And so I think we just have to work to make sure that it does continue to be a bipartisan push and that everybody gets some wins and hopefully not too many people get losses. As well as the Balancing Act of Funding Farm Bill programs, will new and additional funding be earmarked? If so or not, where will funding be allocated? If you don't have any new money, then it means in order to raise the PLC rate or to update base acres, you gotta take money from somewhere else. You take it from conservation, you're gonna take it from crop insurance premium subsidies. Will Stafford of CHS Incorporated says the education about the farm bill and its significance has also expanded over time. This includes informing new members of Congress why a nutrition title has become increasingly essential to approve farm bills. One of those areas is telling them that the farm policy and the nutrition side are married together for a reason, and one does complement the other, and strong farm policy is good for their constituents for having a good, abundant, safe, plentiful, cheap food supply. He adds farm bill education is also important to Congress, to citizens, to bridge an increasing urban-rural understanding gap. Every election, we're seeing less and less members that have a farm background, that have a rural background, and more and more urban members. So we as an industry need to do our jobs and reach out to some of these members and find where we have common ground. There's also what type of farm bill this latest edition could become. Chris Edgington of the National Corn Growers Association believes a new farm bill will be evolutionary meaning building upon existing policies and programs. How do we find small improvements and how do we blend in what we're already doing on farm, whether it's in conservation or risk management? While others hope the 2023 Farm Bill will instead expand current and introduce several new offerings. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. 
But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West, providing you with statewide agriculture news daily. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Now let's listen in to more featured segments. It's no surprise, farmland cash rental rates are generally 20 to 30% higher from a year ago. Pasture land, hay ground, 15 to as much as 25% higher. A survey of ag bankers around the Midwest who have firsthand knowledge of producers coming in for their operating loans and what they're paying for cash rent. They say rates vary as land quality varies. An Iowa banker says land along Highway 30, for example, could average 300 to $400 per acre, while land in northeast or southeast Iowa would be more like 250 to $300 an acre. Irrigated land in eastern Nebraska averaging 280 to $350 per acre, while an Illinois banker cites 325 to 385 as an average statewide. All bankers say they know of much higher land, 400 to up to $500 per acre, but land that will yield over 300 bushels an acre on corn. AgriLiquid will be at Commodity Classic in early March, and we talk about applying less, expecting more, but it comes into view talking about those kinds of land prices. They'll be at booth number 2749 at the trade show, 2749. It took just one day for lean hogs to turn around. Now we're watching April to hold $86 today. I'm Mark Oppold, wishing you a profitable day. Ocean freight rates revert to pandemic lows. Since the highs of 2021, freight prices have dropped to lows not seen since June of 2020. That's according to a recent analysis by U.S. Wheat Associates. Coupled with a recent break in wheat prices, decreased ocean freight costs have helped turn the tides back in the importer's favor. The Baltic Index price chart of dry bulk freight rates shows the impacts on rates from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. On February 6, the Baltic Dry Index hit 621. It's a level not seen since June of 2020. The index has fallen 88% from its peak in October 2021. And in recent years, dry bulk freight and Chinese economic growth have become interconnected. Vessel supply and demand, port congestion, oil prices, and the ongoing supply chain disruptions will continue to impact the market as economies normalize post-COVID. However, China remains in the driver's seat of global freight. That's according to U.S. Wheat Associates. The resilience of the Chinese economy will be put to the test as economic activity increases post-COVID. An AFB contributed to that report. 
USDA's Chicken and Egg Summary for 2022 shows how highly pathogenic avian influenza impacted growers and consumers. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Bernd Nelson explains the data. The average layers during 2022 was around 379 million. This was down 3% from a year ago in 2021. The average production per layer was 289 eggs. This is up about 1% from 21. Egg production in 2022 totaled 110 billion eggs, or down right around 2%. Nelson says a recent drop in prices sparked more demand, bringing prices back up in February. Since prices have kind of dropped off a little bit, especially on the wholesale side, I think that retailers have really started to pick up their purchasing. And that in turn has increased our demand and thus raised prices up again. So as a national average, we're looking at our large grade A shell eggs coming in at around $4.82 per dozen. So we're seeing these prices kind of pick back up again for the near term. He adds the next few months will be key to where prices move later this year. We're going into the migratory waterfowl season. And so far in February, things have remained pretty calm. At this time last year was when we really saw the HPAI cases starting to accelerate. So if things remain slower and we don't see as many outbreaks, we may see some of these prices start to come back down as producers actively pursue replenishing their inventory. Michael Clements, Washington. The recent long-term drought that covered much of the West emphasized the need to develop greater resiliency to impacts. One way to do so is through natural resources conservation practices. In our CS, has some tools that we can use to help with sufficient water supply, quantity, quality. USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service Chief Terry Cosby says two recently announced mechanisms can better leverage his agency's programs and tools to address water shortage issues out west. First, there is the Western Water and Working Lands Framework for Conservation Action. The chief says goals to address water management and resource resiliency will be based on six identified challenges. Forecasting water supply, we're looking at how we sustain the productivity of these areas, protecting groundwater availability, protecting source water availability, managing and restoring rangeland and forest land, and also responding to the disruption from catastrophic events. Some existing opportunities for improved water management and resource conservation include water supply forecast. We have these no-till sites all across the West, and we have staff that goes in, and we do these measurements, and we do these monitorings, and so we can forecast how much water is going to be in these reservoirs and what's going to happen there. It helps farmers make a decision on maybe what crops they're going to plant and how much water they'll have. In addition, a collaborative effort between USDA and the Interior Department called the Water Smart Initiative is providing funding resources to 37 existing and three new priority areas in the West to conserve water and build resiliency. We're going to try to make an impact there. We're going to gather all the data. We're going to be looking at how these things are working. And of course, we're always going to look at how we can be better moving forward. But right now, we are looking at these three priority areas along with the existing ones that we already have in those 12 states. Chief Cosby adds many of the resilience-focused activities and systems within these two mechanisms are also climate-smart agriculture and forestry 
mitigation oriented. The West is an important landscape when we look at all the things that happen there from a migratory standpoint, when we look at wildlife habitat, when we look at grazing, it's a big part of what we do in this country and we got to do everything we can and have the ability to affect and make sure that those folks are part of this conservation family. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. This is the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. We'll be back in just a moment with more of the day's national headlines and local reports when we return. But don't forget, if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you simply need to catch the news at a different time, you can always subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. All you have to do is search Agnet News Hour or Agnet West on your favorite podcast downloading app. That's Agnet News Hour. It's available on both Apple and Android devices. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. Today's specialty crop news brought to you by the Almond Board of California. You can find them online at almonds.com. Senior Specialist of Industry Communications for the Almond Board, Taylor Hillman, recently had a conversation with Randy Dickey from CR Orchards about what's taking place on their operation here at Bloom Time. And Randy, you have a custom applicator business, right? We do. We have a custom uh, pesticide application business as well as um, harvesting. And then you also grow some almonds, right? We do. So we're kind of on both sides We, as, as a producer and also as the custom outfit. It's, it's tough. Keeps you busy. Oh, it keeps us busy, but... I feel so much for the grower because I'm on both sides and and our hands are tied most recently with all the values and the costs of gosh the new equipment has gone up just crazy labor has gone up what we pay our guys uh, it's tough bloom is here you're seeing um, depending on the variety you're seeing bloom across the state uh, how does it look in your guys's orchards it's coming on this is uh, the last few days we've been real busy with the threat of weather coming in the end of this week we started uh, I don't know a week or so ago and uh, we're working all hands on deck to get everything covered preparing the blooms for the for the weather coming through so we have some rain expected uh, during bloom that can create some issues like you're talking about. What issues are we talking about when we're, when we're looking at that? The rain that's coming in right now, uh, we're worried more about fungicides. We're putting on fungicides to protect the blooms from the fungus. There are some nutrients we're putting in. There's a couple of nutrients that are real vital to the pollination of the flowers. And so there'll be some of those added in. And then there's a there's a disease that's pretty prevalent when we have wet weather, 
followed by cold weather and there are some products that are being used for that yeah that's bacterial blast i know a lot of times some people think about fungus issues is the wet weather followed by heat but bacterial blast is with the cold that follows correct it's kind of interesting most recently the uc people and and roger duncan was part of the group they've uh Historically, we've always put on some fairly inexpensive fungicides, if you will, uh, uh, copper. And it would help protect from that, that bacteria is called Pseudomonas, and it causes that blast. And so we used to be able to put on uh, copper. They did a, a survey, I guess, and they did some testing throughout the state um, Roger Duncan was on that group, and uh, they found all the pseudomonas that they came up with is now resistant to the copper. And so they've actually come up with another product this year that um, is more directed right at the, the pseudomonas. However, the dang thing costs them where it's around 45 or $50 an acre to, for the product. Tough. Yeah. Tough decision. Seems like a lot of input costs are going up just around around the whole process. They are. Let's talk about bees. Pollination time, protecting bees. Um, you guys, uh, you know, follow some of those good guidelines of just protecting bees and everything. What What are some of those standard things that you guys do? Pretty standard is, and I alluded to that, was to try to work at night once the bees are back in. Bees will fly somewhere around 55 degrees. So even early in the morning, we'll have some time there that we can get out without harming the bees. The products that we're using are not supposed to influence the bees. So we're sure we check on that to make sure that those are not something that's going to be toxic to the bees. Um, other at, from the grower side, we are uh, we're supplying clean water for them, um, so they don't have to fly looking for water. Um, cover crops with flowers on them, keep them in your territory. It, it supports the the natural. Uh, pollinators, not only the honeybees that we pay for coming in, but uh, natural pollinators as well. I think some people forget about the water, clean water. Oh. I think that's some, you know, kind of an afterthought sometimes, but that's very important for the bees. It is, because if they don't have far to go, they're staying there doing what we want them to do instead of out searching for a drink. Yeah, yeah. So aside from using safer products, you also work pretty much after four o'clock through the evening so there's a lot of safety going into for bee oh yeah and placement of the beehives and making sure that our guys are not spraying the beehives Um, we don't put chemicals right on the hives themselves not working when they are flying those sorts of things we we do everything we can yeah all those good things. With the weather coming in, uh, like you said, you're, you're, you're looking at a lot of uh, fungicide stuff. You guys are really busy, and you just mentioned that before we started recording here. You get a lot of phone calls. I mean, there's a lot of growers that are looking at this around the state. There is. A lot of growers aren't necessarily have their own equipment to go out there and do what, what has to happen. There's a lot of acres out there that needs to be protected. And... Uh, Nothing special to, to our group 
there's just a lot of work to be done out there. Yeah. Last question here. Um, bacterial blast, it can cause some serious damage. Uh, it's important to watch this, right? Yes. What happens is that, that I don't know exactly what's going on, but basically this bacteria gets into the flower and when it gets cold, it actually, as I understand it, causes the cells to burst. Mm. And so obviously the cells are not intact and so they're not doing what they're supposed to do either. So it ruins the nut so you don't have a crop. You're listening to Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Daniel Leo. We'll be right back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Farm Employers Labor Service Compliance Posters could save you thousands of dollars. Did you know that California lawmakers can be fined as much as $13,000 in government penalties if they don't have all the required employee and farm labor information posted for their workers? Avoid costly penalties and give yourself peace of mind knowing you are in full compliance with Fells Posters. At only $175, this full set of laminated weatherproof posters eliminates the risk. Order yours at FELS.net. You've been listening to the Agnet News Hour by Agnet West. I'm your host, Danielle Leal. Welcome back. We've got more of the day's agriculture news right now. High wind gusts in the southwest quadrant. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey notes severe winds in California and across the southwest are expected through midweek. It's just another aspect of active weather crossing the country this week. On the south side of this storm, south of the primary storm track, we are going to be experiencing some extreme winds that will go all the way from Southern California to the Southern High Plains. We are looking at high wind warnings across much of that region and expect that as winds get up in the 60 to 70 or higher mile per hour range, there could be considerable blowing dust, especially in areas that haven't had recent precipitation. We could see wind gusts approaching 100 miles per hour in some of the mountains of Southern California and also so extending into the southern Rockies and perhaps even the adjacent high plains. So an extreme wind event expected over the next couple of days, also from the southwest into the southern high plains, possibly leading to blowing dust and other implications. Again, that was USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. In today's Agronomic Minute, brought to you by UPL, a leader in sustainable crop management solutions for California's orchards and vineyards. And we're talking about grapes today with Katie Driver, Technical Services Manager for California for UPL. Now, pruning time is here for growers, which can be an exciting time as the season gets going, but it can also be a stressful time, too. So as growers are out there in their vineyards, uh, what types of things or uh, challenges should growers be looking out for or uh, keeping in mind? Most growers prune in the spring right before vines are starting to push. And while pruning is a necessary practice, this can leave the vines open to new diseases. So while pruning, growers need to be mindful of pruning wound diseases and that the size of the wound left from pruning can make some vines more susceptible uh, to disease or pathogens. Uh, Practicing sanitation between cuts or between vines can help reduce the spread of disease, uh, but protecting pruning wounds as soon as possible after pruning is important, especially if irrigation, rainfall, or fog is expected treating before any of those moisture events can help improve disease control. 
That was going to be kind of a, a secondary follow-up question there was um, there is some rain here potentially on the horizon. So that does um, kind of up the ante, as it were, for the potential for pathogens, right? Yes. Yes, it would. So um, especially if wounds are present, the pathogen will uh, spread or grow more rapidly if there is moisture present. And now for those that are maybe concerned about that or just want to be uh, preemptive or, or just keep it in front of their mind, um, what kind of solutions are there out there for growers that uh, might be having to combat some of those diseases? So UPL has a two double E label for topsin that covers pruning wound application for grapevines. Uh, topsin is effective on many types of pruning wound diseases such as eutypha, bot canker, and both types of phomopsis. And it can control early powdery mildew spores as well. So for improved disease management and resistance management, we recommend using Topsin as a tank mix partner with another fungicide register for canker management, such as Rally. Uh, it is important to protect pruning cuts as soon as possible, especially if irrigation, rainfall, or fog are expected. We recommend applying within 24 hours for best results. Uh, be sure to get thorough coverage of all cut surfaces, and if multiple applications are needed, you can apply on two-week intervals especially if you are expecting moisture, such as irrigation, rainfall, or high humidity. And I just kind of want to hammer home the idea of coverage being important there is because you're essentially working to protect those wounds that you've just made out in the vineyards, right? You want to add that protective layer there? Yes. Um, and so to ensure coverage, you can actually spray this um, on all surfaces of the vines, or you can paint it onto cuts as you go. It really just depends on what fits your uh, vineyard management program. And lastly here, if uh, growers are looking for more information about this and, and what kind of um, protection that, that, that can provide, where can they go to get some of that information? So you can contact your local UPL rep or you can get more information uh, on Topson on our website, upl-ltd.com forward slash US. Well, very good. And again, this has been the latest installment of the Agronomic Minute, a weekly segment made possible through a content partnership with UPL. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Danielle Leal, Brian German, and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.